Hi, and welcome to the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder. I'm Dan. And I'm Adam. And we're working with you to build this campaign from the ground up. We know that every table is different, and so is every dungeon master. So please, take what you want from each of these episodes and use, adapt, or throw away whatever you need to in order to make things work for your campaign. We don't know who our party's going to be yet, and we certainly don't know yours. So we'll be designing the encounters for an assumed party of the following five archetypes. A warrior, a priest, a mage, a criminal, and an outdoorsman. They will be slowly leveling up as we go, but for now we're at level one, and we're hitting the road for the first time. Keep in mind that the first large chunk of episodes will be easy to adapt for any party between levels one and five. But before we get any further, let's get to building. So in the last episode, we kind of established the status quo. We established our party in Sandspit. We got everyone all kind of situated and together as a cohesive group. Um, And we kind of presented a couple, you know bad guys that they could latch on to and, and, and threads that they could pull on. But most importantly, we gave them their first mission. The other thing that we did was we discussed and we told them up front, it's not a surprise. They know that the setting, the, the path that they have to take has been washed out. There's some real danger and some, some, what are you doing? <laughs> Trying to sit forward. Okay. <coughs> The other thing that we did was we set up ahead of time that the setting that they'll be heading into, while it is relatively familiar, it has now changed. And so they've gone through a little bit of exploration and a skill challenge at the end of the last session to find out where they need to go and how to get there. How successful they are will be based upon their roles, but we have a general idea laid out, and that is the fact that they're traveling through the desert And the road has been washed away by sandstorms. And because of that, we now know that our party is coming off of the beaten trail and is going to encounter some random shit out on the road. Now, again, we're not talking about standard encounters. We're going to focus on dynamic encounters. You will have a random encounter table out there of just shit that exists in your location around the area. There's one in the back of the DMG, is it, that has a bunch of encounter tables for a desert? Yep. There are the, there's the idea of getting up and leaving the guild house right at the very beginning of the session, going out into the wilderness. This is standard D&D. You don't need to hear us go off about it at length. What we're going to do is focus on what we consider to be not quite as random, random encounters. Because we put the thought and the time into this so that when they're rolling dice to see when or what random encounter they're going to run into... These encounters will happen. Yeah. They're rolling dice to see when they will happen or maybe what the environment will be doing around them. So these are dynamic encounters. So they're more than just your standard and you will have other encounters to put in before, after, or in between these ones. And of course, like I said in the intro, if you don't like one of these, feel free to leave it out. Yeah. But these are the ones that we chose and we'll explain why as we go through them. I just want to say before we get going, though, that we enjoy random encounters and random encounters exist so that players get a feeling of a world that's random and chaotic and lived in. Yeah. It's dangerous because the world needs to be dangerous. When you are going out of the protected zone, and that's the thing that I really want to hit with this, cities and establishment and civilization 
are protected lands. We deal with a lot of savage lands out there. And I love the idea in D&D of there being savage lands right outside your door. Yeah, right and, outside the walls. And that's why we have this these walls surrounding this city. Yeah, the, the doors in Sandspit are always closed. You have to get them opened to leave. And I think they're made of like limestone. Like they're they're heavy, thick doors. On that, like chains that pull up. So it's not, it's kind of like a drawbridge, but there's no moat because of course there's not, you're in a desert. But there's just something big and heavy and really, I mean, it's an obstruction in every way, shape and form. Yes, and so this is what this is what we tried to establish um, in the previous episode, and what you're going to establish again at the beginning of this one is, and I guess this is the first time that we get to say it. You should start every session asking your players what happened last session. Yeah, start off everyone with those with those questions every single time you get together. What happened last session? And make your players answer that question. This gives you an opportunity as a DM to sit back and take some notes as well. Kind of get your mind ready and centered and focused on what is going to happen next. It's not only your warm-up and your breath of fresh air. It's also going to tell you what they latched on to, mm-hmm. what they didn't latch on to, and what they misunderstood. And so you will be able to reiterate some information or let them just go with their misinformation, depending on how important it may be. Yeah, there, there, there's always the great DM tool of the, yeah, sure, that's what it was. Okay, then. Or my favorite, was it? Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> so, uh, adding, adding that little interaction as well makes you and your players uh, end up on the same page right at the beginning. Because you're going to, again, start off probably with a little bit of a narrative. Yeah. Right? Uh, most D&D sessions start off with a narrative and not just roll initiative. So you're going to, I mean, sometimes they do. Sometimes they do. And those are good sessions too. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of it is, okay, so it's the next morning and here we are. You guys are getting prepared to go. What would you like to do? You don't need to hear us go through all of this information because you as a DM know how to get your players from point A to point B through a narrative. It's easy. Write your paragraph out. Ask them a question and see what nonsense they come up with and move along. That's not a dynamic encounter. But once they've left the safety of the city, once they're out on that road, which is wide in some spaces, narrow in others, winding through the dunes, it's too hot at, in the day. It's and too cold at night. And, and and chill you to the bone when the suns are down. I just decided there are two suns right now. I'm so, down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. Um, uh, uh, no. Three. If we go two suns, then we're just tattooing. But if we go three suns, then I'm going to really feel the need to track the solar movements throughout the skies. Adam, if there's one sun, you feel the need to track the solar movements throughout the skies. That's true. So we've already established there are two moons. Okay. Two moons and three suns. I'm with you, okay. But they go in different directions. Oh, 100%. Okay, cool. So, um, because the world doesn't rotate, the suns are magic and they move around. Created by gods. I'm making this shit up as I go, and you can't yeah, this is all. This is all the first I've heard of any of this. Yeah. Like, we, didn't, we didn't do the whole podcast or trick of, this is something random that we have been planning for a week. No, this is literally off the top of your dome. Oh, yeah. And I'm just, like, super excited about... Uh, a crazy multi-helio universe where there's it's the suns that move never mind okay i'll deal with this another time maybe one of them is just a daytime moon on fire 
Doesn't matter. <laughs> the point is that the desert that they're going out into is dangerous. And so you're going to hit them with a couple little random encounters, the standard ones. You run into a tarantula. Yep. Right? Or uh, your water skin broke. Or yes. some coyotes or something. But there's also going to be more dynamic set piece encounters in and among them that are quote-unquote random, but random because maybe they happen in the day or at night. Maybe it takes your players a little bit longer to get to this area than you expected. These are foregone conclusions, and therefore they're not so random encounters. So what I would do for this one is, yes, they are they are for sure going to happen, but I would give your party the opportunity to roll for their random encounters. So the way I would plan this out is I would use the table that's in the back of the DMG. It, fly, uh, it lays out these kind of base level, uh, easy, standard D&D random encounters well. But using reading the table and using kind of where the night is going, throwing in these actually necessary ones, um, these, these a little bit more dynamic ones throughout. Yep, these are not rolled for on a table. No, these are not. No, they are they are going to happen. We don't know all of the details about them. That'll depend on your party, which is why they're not so random. They're fated, but they will have the ability to control maybe the circumstances around them. Yeah. So what we may think of as an ambush when we prep it may actually have their the people creeping into position discovered at the beginning of the first round because someone rolled a 20 on their perception, perception yeah. right so so anyway let's roll initiative to find out which ones we're going we're going to uh reveal in what order sure oh, i got a 15 so i'm gonna go first oh fine i got an eight so the very first thing that i want to do is i want to have a little bit of downtime when you're on the road when you've gone through you all discover that you have received little care packages from Tremblay. Now, if you remember, Tremblay is the balding Aarakocra, the the uh, the quest giver, the merchant with the nervous disorder, yep. who's consistently molting and is just down on his luck all of the time. He's given you a handful of really minor magic items that may help you a little bit. What are they? This is going to be a quote-unquote random encounter because I'm going to create a random table. Everybody gets to reach into their pack. They'll find two days of rations, a very small water skin that'll get them through a half day, uh, maybe some sort of canvas flap that they can hang over their head yep. to keep the sun off their neck. These are just fun little items that who knows how they're going to use a canvas flap in the future, but they're also going to get one of these items and they can roll for it on a table and see what has Tremblay given them. Again, this endears them to their patron. And this allows them to interact and write down things. And it'll be different for each person. Because once they roll, you scratch that off the table. And if someone else also rolls a four, you make them roll again. Because yeah. that wasn't an option anymore. So what did Tremblay think to put in there? And then they're going to sit there and go, okay, why does a beetle whose eyes glow red whenever the, the sun goes down? Why is that important? It doesn't cast light. Why did he give this to me? <laughs> and try to figure it out. Keeping in mind as well that they may not have access to identify yet. Yeah. So these are magic items that they're just going to pull out and be like, oh, hey, look, it's a blue ball that's roughly the size of my thumbnail. I don't know what to do with this. I, I, I also love the idea of, you know, they're reaching into the bag and 
the the fighter pulls out this odd beetle and the rogue pulls out this small blue ball the size of his fingernail the wizard pulls out a sword yeah yeah that he can't use uh, it's an axe pulls out an axe and the wizard's just like ah, ah, who wants this I'll tra- I'll trade you for your your glowy beetle eye thing thing yeah. yeah right and so this allows your players to interact with each other it's not shopping because it's randomized but it also brings them immediately back into the world and they are on their quest. It also is an opportunity for you to show just how scatterbrained Tremblay is, which I love. He's like, yeah, I just gave you things. Just just go. Just, I, also, go. I also love if there's a trigger word to, to, you know, change one of these things or kick in some sort of magical effect on an item. And he's just written it on a scrap in Dwarvish and just dropped it into the bag. And if one of you guys can speak Dwarven, then you pick it up and, oh, it says this. And then it triggers whatever the thing is without you realizing that it was a trigger word in the first place. Don't do this with a flask of fireball. (laughs) I'm just, and now we're starting a new campaign. Yeah. So anyway, this is, this is. My favorite is no one in the party speaks Dwarven or something else like that. So now they have this one note that no one could read and they're all just like, what the hell is this piece of paper for? And your wizard's sitting over there with like their mundane stick going, I don't know what this is. But when they get to the Canvas City in the next session, they're going to be able to go find people to help them with this and realize that, oh my god, this is way more powerful than we ever thought it was. Or we can just have them roll almost on a wild magic table to see, can they trigger it by accident? Have the wizard just, or have the mage or the priest just sit there and look at it and go, is it water breathing? Now we're in a desert. <laughs> is, can I, does it let me eat sand? Hold on, hold on. Let me hold it and eat some sand. No, no, it doesn't. Oh my god! I just love the idea that yes, no, it gives you water breathing. Yeah. Well, maybe it does, and and he just thinks that maybe. Well, what happens if you fall down a well? So now that our party has gotten their gifts from Tremblay, they are now beyond the gates of Sandspit. The city is behind them, and the Canvas City is two days in front of them, and they must start this journey. Depending on how successful they were at making this map earlier, you can now start to drop things on your party um, that they either expect or don't. And one of those things is going to be an exploration to exploration encounter of a sinkhole that leads to a field of quicksand that your party has to navigate through with either their mounts or or their cart or whatever they manage to equip themselves with um, to get past to find the next stage of their journey across this open desert landscape so there's this big sinkhole that appears yeah and then they have to go around it so what i would do is if they rolled really well on their map making they use the sinkhole more as a landmark that they then have to navigate around which is fun and interesting if they rolled poorly they then fall into the sinkhole and to get out of the sinkhole, have to navigate around this field of quicksand. Well, if they're underground, where's the quicksand? Below them. It's, it's the ground still. So the ground above them is a cavernous opening. And that leads steadily up. They see light at the end of this like large pathway where the sand is pouring maybe from little cracks in this cavernous opening above them. And you have to walk through, find some way to navigate around it. Use your abilities to cross large pools of quicksand or sand waterfalls. Fun, interesting things that gets them 
really paints a picture of what this landscape is like in their mind. The thing that I like about this is that you're, we're starting right from right from the beginning. This is like their first real quote unquote random encounter. The first thing that they're running across is a fantastical set piece. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we're dropping in here is the very first time that we are going down in the desert. And there are two more big times that that's coming that we know of. One is the Jingling City, which we outlined in the in the settings episode. Yeah. And then the other one, of course, is the big sinkhole yeah. that is going to change everything in the world. You're kind of laying down some groundwork for expectations for your players. And, and when they finally come out of it, we'll probably be stronger as a party as well because they're having to use their wits and their skills to get through a very hazardous situation with a mount or with a cart that they know is going to be important and they could very well lose in this cave. It's been too long since we fought anything. Every, every party wants to fight. And so we are going to get into a quote-unquote random encounter. There are bandit mages that are out there. These are not just your... Your dinky little guys with with swords, short swords and knives that are coming out that want to just yeah, give me your your all your copper pieces. No, these are bandit mages, sand wizards, sand wizards. No, no, I think they're water wizards, and I think that they have access to cold and water spells. And one of those things is going to be Ray of Frost in Wands. And they're going to come out and they're going to have, I don't know, chill touch as well. Because they're going to have some necromancy to them. Mm-hmm. And they're they're going to be able to live out in the desert because they can create water. Oh, okay, yeah, that's cool. I like that. Uh, all right. They're able to handle the heat because they can create ice and cold. Right? And so this is, they're going to pretty much pop out of nowhere. Wearing parkas. I mean, potentially have them be like, that's good and weird, right? Yeah. Heavy furs. Their breath is cold and you can see the steam coming from their mouths every time they speak. Make them all tritons. I wouldn't quite go that far. <coughs> Make one of them a triton. Sure. Yeah. Go nuts, right? Yeah. Because they're able to, like, again, I want to get into a bit of the weird here, but these bandit mages are going to attack the party. They're not going to have many hit points. They're going to have wands. The wands are all going to have one charge on them, right? Because these are low-level mages. If they were high-level mages, they would be over at the lighthouse that we've established over on the coast. But these are kind of disgraced ex-apprentices that have fled into the desert and they're subsiding off of their own magical powers. And the fact that they are taking resources from travelers. And maybe they're the reason why there was a sinkhole. Maybe somehow they're the reason that they washed the, the road out. Yep. So they're behind this all somehow. And this is going to be a little group that you fight and you're going to win. But this combat, this is a combat to combat. Because halfway through this encounter, their previous victims are going to rise from the dead. And you will see a couple of carts half buried in the sand and then skeletons rising up. And there will be way too many skeletons. But they're also going to be fighting the mages. And it's going to be, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And now you have to make the choice. Do you fight the skeletons who are trying to kill everybody? Or do you fight the mages? And maybe appease the skeletons? Who knows? Or do you fight both? And it's kind of this weird battle royale here. Yeah. 
Now, one of the things that I would make certain to do at before I do any of this, as I'm building this encounter, as I'm prepping my session, I'm giving my players healing because combat to combat will drain hit points and we're talking level one party. Mm-hmm. Your mage has six hit points. If they're lucky. Well, you come with the standard six for level one. Your D6 is maximized for level one. So your mage is really squishy unless they've got some sort of constitution modifier in there, which, I mean, your sorcerer might, but your wizard probably doesn't. Probably doesn't, yeah. No. So we've got, uh, we've got some squishy, squishy, squishy players on the table. You need to be able to heal them up or to boost their AC. Hopefully the mage has, uh, as mage armor or we can get some, some cure wounds or healing word or something going out there. Well, you're going to have, you, our party here, we have a priest character who's there to kind of help heal. The outdoorsman might have some capability for that as well. Um, even your warrior or your uh, criminal might have some like latent ability to heal. This transition stage between the two kind of give a beat for your party to up their resources before they move forward into this. I would have the skeletons attacking the mages First, and that is their sign. Yeah, no, I'm down with that. Yeah, and that's the idea of... I mean, again, this is a combat encounter. It doesn't mean that they won't flee. Your guys can say, hey, look, the mages are engaged. Let's get the fuck out of here. Mm -hmm. Right? And then turn around and run. And that is perfectly fine because that is how they dealt with this encounter. Right? They know now, make the market on the map, over here is where the dead rose and where these water mages fell. I would also be really, really, really straightforward and say that, hey, we know there are water mages out here. These are some of them. Well, this this is one of those things, again, you're referencing the ability they may, they put into making that map in yeah. the previous session. They might have uncovered some sort of knowledge of water mages or of some weird tribe of water mages in the uh, desert. You could also like take these guys and make them guild members for another rival guild and maybe tease them at this point as well. Well, I've got a bunch of other guild stuff coming eventually. So so it's not abundantly necessary. It, it, it is an option, but like. There's nothing saying that every single person in this world is a guild member of some sort. There's going to be unaligned people. Yeah, and I think that, frankly, we want to keep them focused on Lachlan's lot for the first bit. Fair so, enough. So yeah. maybe having them just be bandit mages is is all you really need. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea of them being out there. Keeping in mind that this gives some really interesting roleplay ideas the next time that they've got to come through the desert. So coming up next here is this uh, furthering of this notion that people are going to be unaligned. So I'm setting up this roleplay to combat encounter because, of course, we still need a little bit more fighting. Now, this could happen after your party rests or not. doesn't really matter. It's a random encounter for a reason. But your your party comes up to this drifter, this this uh, maybe unaffiliated merchant of some sort who is actively trying to con your party out of their supplies. He sees that they have a bale of water, uh, or sorry, a, a, a keg of water. They, uh, he sees that they have uh, food. Or maybe he has the food and is going to make them pay exorbitant prices for them because they need it. This character is there to con the party. Okay? Um, you know what this character is? Uh, 
I, th- I think he's an old human. Something on the surface level is not imposing. Um, wild, scraggly, like gray beard and dark over tan skin. Um, cause he lives in the desert and he, he's got skin like leather. It's like leather. It, it's like 1990s era Charlton Heston. Just like this guy could get stabbed and the knife would bend, right? Like just really tanned hide as skin. Maybe make this guy a minotaur. I don't know. Do something interesting with him. But he's there specifically to con the party. And either way, if the con goes over, if it doesn't, he has an army of giant ants buried in the sands around the party that he calls up to take the rest of to kill them and take the rest of their stuff. Even if so even if they agree that okay, we'll pay this money, they then get down off their mounts, they become they like let their guard down. Yeah. And he, and he jumps jumps them. on them to take all of their stuff. With four three or four giant ants. Right? Not not enough to, you know, take them out with the action economy, but enough to pose a threat and give this little bit of a fight. Now when this entire thing is over, they're going to be able to loot this guy. And you could sprinkle in some little gifts. Give them some healing potions if that uh, battle with the uh, water mages was a bit too hard. Or or give them some more supplies to further through uh, trek through the desert. Right? Maybe he's got a version of the map that contradicts theirs. And now they have to kind of balance which two are. Like where, where the accuracies and where the inaccuracies are. I like this because it gives you a role-playing encounter out in the middle of nowhere that we haven't really gotten yet, right? There was a uh, little bit of downtime at the beginning where they're going to interact with each other, but this is the first real NPC out in the road that they've run into, and to make them hostile right off the bat furthers the idea that when you are away from civilization, the world is dangerous. This is going to be key themes later on especially when we're plane hopping in tier four mm-hmm. or running around in the underdark in tier three, right? Or we're doing guerrilla warfare style in in tier two. The idea of being out in the wilderness versus in a city is we're going to hit these themes over and over and over again. Yeah. It's just more dangerous out here because frankly, even in our real world, if you went traveling that would like four days of travel between cities in medieval times, there was a decent chance that you weren't going to make it. Yep. Like, you really needed to have your shit together. You needed guides. Maybe you needed to know this. I know this road. I've done this road a dozen times before. I'm fine with it. I don't know that road, so I'm not going to take it without talking to some locals. First, exactly. Right? And so, we don't have locals to talk to. Here is, here's a quote-unquote local. And we don't even know which way this guy's going. Is he... Well, the thing is, you could have this guy as being a former member of the Black Ink Union who was ousted because he's basically just a con man. And maybe maybe you find the papers of, of him being being kicked out and removed. You find that on his body afterwards, right? Yeah. But this also allows you to get into the first, like, we're not talking evil, evil, capital E. We're talking selfish. Selfish evil. Yeah. Yeah. And so between the bandits... And this guy, we know that we can't necessarily trust people out here. Mm-hmm. This is going to go into harsh contrast in Tier 2 when we are rescuing all surface dwellers. 
everyone, even the ones that are selfish twerps. Yep. And we may have to ally or ally ourselves with water mages and bandits to fight back the drow later on. Yeah. Right. So this, what it looks like, these are simple random encounters at first. This is us laying the groundwork early on. And you can see that we are still establishing status quo because we're still in level one. Yeah. Um, just real quick, I would make this guy a rogue or something of slightly higher level than the party. And if he gets away, this gives you the option to have another recurring minor villain that pops up, right? Everyone loves having that one group of bandits or that one, you know, highwayman that they just keep on running into over and over and over again. And he, he gets progressively more powerful, just as like the party does. But each time he's just a, he's a marker of the party's power. As each time you bring him down, he goes, I'll get you next time, Gadget, and runs away. All right. So the fifth encounter, my last one uh, for this session, is I wanted to, to really hit the idea of there being more combat and more exploration. Because there's going to be a lot of combat out here. One of the things that I'd be doing on my random tables, things that you're going to be rolling for to come across, is uh, evidence of other groups that have gone missing, that haven't made it this far. That you will find an abandoned carriage here, or you'll find a, a horse skeleton there, right? Or just someone who's starved to death and is half mummified, sticking out of the sands. So I want you to find now signs of a new fresh struggle and what happened is maybe the maybe the blood is still fresh in the sand and there are uh, tracks that are dragging something away you don't even know what this is but when you go to investigate it you come across a beast and not just a beast a beast with a nest my initial thought is a griffin that's way too high powered for for level oh one. yeah yeah but have the griffin fly away and now you have to go in, and there are eggs. Do you take the eggs? Do you have to fight baby griffins as they hatch? Oh, that'd be fun. Right? So I, I would homebrew down griffin stats down to, like, CR half, and maybe hatch three of them. The The fun thing with this is, and, and uh, I'm curious, is this where you would find the remains of the previous party? Not not Tremblay's previous party. Tremblay's previous party is question mark missing. Nobody knows. Okay. All right. And it wasn't this close to home. It was out in the world. Okay. So I wouldn't have that too close to home, but I would definitely find the remains of other adventuring parties. And you may be able to find things like um, leather belts that couldn't be eaten, or um, maybe there's one steel boot, just shiny things that the Griffin has picked up. Mm-hmm. Something out there to to give the idea of wilderness out here as well. Uh, and there are no real cliffs for the griffin. It's weird that it's out here like this, but it's also warm enough that the eggs will hatch. Yep. And you guys know, maybe your outdoorsman or, or even your warrior for some reason may know that they come back and they nest overnight. You need to get out of here by the time the sun goes down. The other thing that I would add in here is I love the idea of getting hunted by a griffin. So if you steal the eggs, guess it, what? It will come back for you, right? I love the idea of stealing the eggs, 
but now you're doing a little bit of a stealth as well. So you explore, and you've got this combat against a couple of, of baby griffins, but there's a couple of eggs that haven't hatched yet. What do you do with this? Do you just smash the eggs and move on at the end? What do you do with this questionable loot? What happens if it hatches on the road tomorrow? Yep. And so this is something. The other thing that we haven't really talked about is the fact that there have been a couple of nights that have gone by as well. Yep. You've had to bunker down. So there are other random encounters. Maybe this session two that we're talking about is a couple of sessions long just to be able to get there. As we're littering, you know, little signs of civilization around in terms, but like overtaken civilization so the half buried carts or the old carcasses or and and um like signs of more savage uh, encounters in the area the one thing i would do is i would have some stuff buried by sand that your party uh stumbles across um and this my next example here is actually going to be a combat to combat example of this where your party comes over and stumbles into a large dead i don't know pack mule or a you're in the desert a camel hell maybe even another griffin maybe another griffin um and it's been blown over by sand so your party doesn't see it unless you know you've got that one person with the extremely huge uh passive perception which you won't have at this level you won't at, like, le- at level one your maximum perception is going to be I mean, you're going to struggle like to get a... 15? No, it'll be 17 with your proficiency plus uh, plus five. Yeah, I mean, you could get up there with it. But I think you're min-maxing at that point. And so most people, they, it could be as low as eight, right? Yep. So I would put like the difficulty to see it with a passive at about a 16, right? As a passive perception. And so it it basically just looks like a little mound of sand. And as your party passes over it, they fall that, you know, foot into this rotting carcass that is just overwhelmed underneath and within by a swarm of beetles. So now your character, now your party has to fight a swarm of beetles as they start climbing your pack animal. They start climbing your wizard. I love the idea, too, of the endorsement is probably in front. It's probably going to be the one that sinks into this carcass and is waist deep in in chest cavity, rotted chest cavity. Yeah, as a swarm is crawling over. This is nasty, and, yeah. and it's it's beautiful in its horrible, in its horrid nature. But it gets better because your party eventually will take out this swarm. Swarms are incredibly hard to deal with at low levels, so don't like. It's one swarm, right? Um, but. The difficulty of this combat to combat happens as you have unveiled this rotting, horrible smelling. Like, even have a bit of a constitution save if you were standing in the same square as it to not throw up. Um, Have a couple carrion birds start to swirl overhead and then attack for their next meal. Like vultures. Like vultures, yeah. You'll have them dive bomb and, and... now your party not only has to deal with a swarm, which is hard to deal with with swords and uh, melee attack weapons, to a flock of vultures vultures now, you, swooping down and attacking them. You can get into the player's handbook and find the Bloodhawks. Those are CR 1 8th. They've got pack tactics and keen sight. Oh, those guys are great. Yeah, but they only do 1d4 plus 2 piercing damage. So this is something that is going to harass and harry the party quite a bit. 
but it's not necessarily going to be deadly. It's just going to be real bad after a swarm of beetles. Yeah. So you you flow into that, and that gives the again this gives the world a sense that it's lived in that uh, actions have consequences, right? And will make your party a little bit more paranoid and have them be a little bit more aware of their surroundings as they're traveling. Do we have any final thoughts then on these not so random random encounters for a level one party? Remember, you're peppering in amongst these things, small little like single beat encounters. You find a bag um, that was left on the side, and you loot it, grab it, move on. Stuff like that. You you are you a, find an oasis, a, an oasis, or or you know you make your way through a uh, copse of cacti, and you have to make your way through those, right? Little things that just add a little bit more flavor. These are bigger encounters that will take up more time. These are set pieces and they're dynamic encounters and that's what we're focusing on here. Exactly. The other thing to keep in mind as well is that this is level one. It is super freaking deadly. Yes. And it might behoove you to have one of these items be an item of revivify. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, That that's not a bad idea at this level. Um, also... There's nothing wrong with kind of front-loading healing potions. In my opinion, the way I run my games, I like the lower levels to be fun, but the uh, threat of death to be fairly low in the first couple sessions. And because you have control over healing potions, you don't necessarily... You have control over items. One of the things that I like to do myself to keep the party balanced is I take potions or items that heal, but they allow you to roll one of your hit dice. Yes. Not a flat 1d8 or whatever. Because a 1d8 means nothing to a... A barbarian. Yeah, a barbarian that's level 5, but it, and it is overkill for a sorcerer at level 1, right? So what are we doing with this d8? It's it's good, but is it is it good enough? Mm-hmm. What I like is having the hit die. You get to roll, essentially, an extra hit die. And, and it brings in more of the hit die mechanic, which, in my opinion, is horribly underutilized in D&D 5th edition. Yep. Um, that's why when I'm out in the desert, if these guys get horribly lost, for example, maybe that's why they spend so much time out in the desert is they do get lost. Mm -hmm. What happens when they start running out of items? Are you going to kill them in six days? Because, well, it'll happen in five because they'll be inefficient as explorers when they take the fifth level of exhaustion after, after day five, right? Is that what you're going to do? Or are you just going to start removing the hit dice that they can reroll? On short rests. Give them more time. Yeah. Really kind of drag that out. Let them stumble upon the auto oasis or well. Don't punish them for being level one. All of these things that we're doing is going to keep it exciting. But I would not. I would absolutely not chain these encounters one after another. They're already dynamic. If you were to put water mages and then the beetle swarm and the the bloodhawks bang bang. You're killing your party. Yeah, that's that's a total party kill. So remember, level one, go easy on them. Exactly. This is this is you're using these encounters more as a way to solidify and cement your party as a team, not kill them outright. You're also trying to get them to understand the danger of the world yep. that they're in, because by level five or six, they will have mastered this environment. And they're going to be able to use it to their advantage when we get into the tier two stuff with the drow and the duragar. And that's what we're excited about. Exactly. Right. So we're building this early. 
by looking to the future and kind of focusing little bits and pieces. We're not sure how water mages are going to impact, if they even will, in 30 sessions. But this is a cool little tool that we have now. You should be using your random encounters or your not-so-random encounters to lay that foundation even from the very beginning. Yeah. And this gives you an opportunity um, to end your session in a in a nice spot. You finally made it through the desert. You've experienced the desert and you've made it back to your goal. And now next session, we could talk about the run back. Yeah. So we haven't gotten to the Canvas City yet. Um, I, we're not going to spend any time in there. We've already spent a time exploring in the previous episode. We just explored Sandspit. Yeah. We're not going to explore the Canvas City. You it's guys, a collection of tents. There's not much you're going to be doing there. There may be one one permanent structure that is a general store or a stable or something. But you're right. There's not much that's going to happen in there. These are people traveling that are they're moving through. You'll be able to gear up if you have enough money or if you've looted enough corpses. You can sell some stuff. But you're bartering. Yeah. You're you're trading. It's more of a trade outpost than anything else that can happen between sessions. And then you have to find this person who we don't even have an idea of who they are yet. No. Right? Well, we can figure that out next week. We just know that there's the potion merchant out here. And so, yeah, we'll figure it out next week. And your players will probably need to find this person as well. But we don't have to spend time in the Canvas City. It's more important getting to and from it. Exactly. And so that's how we're handling level one with our getting to on the road random encounters. And next week, we're going to be covering uh, an escort mission. Yeah. Bringing this person back. There we go. We're out in the world and letting the players settle into their adventuring roles. Now, let's take a week and allow these weary travelers to rest before their first mission really kicks off. Hopefully, this will give us the chance to brainstorm and create some unique conflicts that will arise within our first escort mission. Tune in next week when we each offer up some ideas for encounters based on a low-level escort mission. Thanks for listening to this episode of the new It's a Mimic Campaign Builder series. You can find us at www.itsamimic.com and on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcast catchers. We're also available on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and more. And we would love to hear your thoughts on how you would use this episode in your homebrew campaigns. I'm Adam. And I'm Dan. And we'll be back with more prep work next week. Hey guys, this is Adam here, and I hope you enjoyed that episode. We have a lot of fun making these, and we're always interested to hear what you guys have to say about your campaigns, and whether or not these things are going to be applicable for you in the future, or if you've done similar things in the past. So really, do not hesitate to reach out at, and talk to us at info at We did receive a piece of mail. We, I rolled randomly again to see who we would talk to. Uh, and we actually got uh, a piece from Matty Yangu about the campaign builder. He says, Adam, you mentioned cinematography videos. Any notes as to which ones are the best ones to watch? Now, I did respond to him directly. 
And I just wanted to share this with everybody because I think that it's important. I don't really have any specific videos to watch on cinematography. I think it's really useful, but there's a lot out there. And honestly, I just keep clicking next and waiting to be inspired. There's a lot of stuff that you need to try to use as metaphors. For example, pacing and setting and and how it interacts with music and whatnot. Some stuff like making a scene or a map more red to indicate danger or blue to indicate hopelessness. It, it seems pedantic when you start dealing with it. It seems very, very nitpicky until you see what actually ends up working. Where your entire encampment now suddenly your your map is is in shades of blue and purples because it's nighttime that's going to give a different tone to your players my suggestion is just to leave a bunch of this kind of stuff anything about filmmaking writing cinematography directing anything if you are a dm find this stuff and put it on autoplay on youtube or listen to to podcasts about it and leave it in the background while you cook or clean or whatever see what sparks your imagination because it is important it will add a depth to your game as you subtly start to change how your players are interacting with the map directly in front of them if you're really good and really subtle and if they're paying attention you may be able to ramp them up to a level of engagement that they won't even realize you're doing until days later. So, that's my suggestion. Maddie, thanks for writing in. If you've got any other questions, anyone, reach out to us at info at itsamimic.com. If you've got questions for Dan as well and anything that he said, write in and we'll get him to answer some stuff as well. But keep writing in. We've got a bunch of stuff here still on guilds. This is the one that everyone seems to be the most excited about. Um, but also some session one stuff. And we have a lot of questions about urban campaigns. So we'll uh, we'll be tackling those as we keep rolling them on the random table. And uh, I hope you guys have a great session this week. I hope everything goes perfectly well, and I hope that you enjoyed this episode and the rest of them and everything else that we have to offer. Thanks very much. Okay, bye!